0: You love me in the highs, you find me in the lows When I try to hide, it's when you're with me most Through every single doubt, in moments of belief You are steady, my God I shared this teaching several weeks ago to my fellowship, and it just seemed like the topic that I wanted to share tonight with you. I think we live in a world that is wracked by division and variance and emulation. So let's take a moment and look at God's Word and see what God's Word has to say about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be talking tonight about God's peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33, it says, For God is not the God of disorder, but of peace as is all the congregation of the saints. So we human beings, being the offspring of God, we have a fundamental need for peace. I don't think this need can be overrated. People are plagued throughout our culture with anxieties and fears and depressions, insecurities, addictions, hostilities, and all these war against the soul. I truly believe that many of those people who turn to substance abuse, they do so in search of peace and this in fact was the case with me my story isn't very different from many others i'm not a very peaceful person by nature my wife will attest to that (laughs) Um, i grew up in a very or in a fairly stable household Uh, we had our fair share of dysfunction but we got along all right Um, as a young man i had my share of insecurities and anxieties and like many others of my age I was drawn to drugs to cope with them. What I was looking for was peace. I wanted a sense of well-being. And I believe this is true for many people who have substance abuse problems. Many in our society are desperately searching for peace and for a sense of well-being. And so people do what I did. They self-medicate. But as any addict will tell you, the Peace AT, through their substance of choice, is a false peace. And there's always a price to be paid. Go to Matthew chapter 11. So God is the God of peace and of order. When you find disorder, you'll always find Satan, certainly. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says that that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. I love that. Don't you? That God hides the deep things from the learned, the arrogant, the self-righteous. But God reveals those to the humble. 26, it says, Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest to your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so you see christ is our peace christ is our peace it's through christ that the believer finds rest for his soul the truth is as followers of jesus our peace is true peace it's genuine peace it is a supernatural peace go to philippians chapter 4 philippians 4 i'm sure this is a familiar verse but it's one of those verses you just can't get too far away from i'm looking verse 6 it says do not be anxious about anything but in everything everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this isn't just merely psychological peace or ideological peace. This is supernatural peace. It transcends our understanding. It's beyond our rational mind. It's something that we don't have to figure out that God blesses us with through his grace. It's supernatural. The Bible teaches us that we have peace through, through this, through the supernatural presence, through the renewed mind, and through the fruit of the Spirit. That in God's very presence, this God of peace, we have peace. Go to Isaiah chapter 26, and look at verse 1. It says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation, its walls and its ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. So what's the significance of this strong city? A strong and righteous city that God makes salvation its walls and its ramparts. A city in which the righteous nation, the nation that keeps faith, may dwell. I was thinking about it when I was putting this teaching together that you know, throughout the Bible, when we read it, we read about ramparts and fortresses and high towers and bulwarks. Many of these we find in Psalms. David speaks of a few examples here. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me with the songs of deliverance, say La. Or this one, be thou my strong habitation whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, thou art my rock and my fortress. Or this one, thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art my trust from my youth. So the, these terms like bulwark and rampart and fortresses, they're provided here in, to give the sense of protection and security. And just as it was with David, so it is with us at That when we are in God's presence, God provides us with peace and safety. And not only does God provide us with this supernatural peace, he provides us with peace of mind by his presence. Verse 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in you. He trusts in you. Strength and peace come from trusting God. When we trust God, we find Sanctuary for our souls. There's a verse in James, many of you will know that it says that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he will receive anything of God. And that's surely true, isn't it? A a double-minded man is the man who can't make up his mind where his security lies. But our security lies in God. I was thinking about David and how David spent his youth tending sheep. And he spent long hours sitting out in the pasture. There weren't any people around. He wasn't checking his cell phone every five minutes. He was praying. And it was this time that he spent with God that he learned that God was his fortress and his high tower, that God was his peace. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord. The Lord is rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The paths of the righteous is level. Oh upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth, and you know there's this whole notion throughout the scriptures that God will bring down the high and lofty, and God will raise up the low, and God will make everything smooth, the smooth path of equity and justice and honor, right? And with God, nothing is increased at the expense of others, that God is a just God. Go to Psalm chapter 4, Psalm chapter 4. Look in verse 5. It says, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord, You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Isn't that beautiful? You alone make me dwell in safety. Now, I was thinking about it. Consider our culture. Now, our culture is considered comparatively with other cultures to be an advanced culture. But you have to think about it. In what way are we advanced? Is it due to our technology or our science or our innovation? Well, that's that's usually how modern man measures things, but I think it's important that we consider other verities var- as well, like the suicide rate in this advanced culture of ours. Did you know that the suicide rate in this country is the 10th leading cause of death? I mean, isn't that amazing? In 2020, million people attempted suicide. The fact is, when we look at things spiritually, we see that our modern culture is set up for failure, sets us up for failure. It's actually designed to deprive us of peace. And without peace, Satan knows that we do not think properly and we do not behave properly. We are anxious and reactionary and self-centered. We spend much of our days in fight-or-flight mode. You think about the occurrences of road rage. It's amazing. We become primal. Have you ever seen a, a cornered animal like a feral cat? And think about modern man. We're cornered. And this is modern man in many ways. In the Bible, there's an interesting phrase that I'd like to look at tonight. Um, it's always been kind of a curiosity to me when I started reading the Old Testament. The phrase is, peace, peace, and there is no peace. This phrase is used three times in Scripture, twice in Jeremiah and once in Ezekiel. So we'll go to the first occurrence. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. And look in verse 1. It says, Flee for safety, people of Benjamin. Flee from Jerusalem. Sound the trumpet of Tekoa. Raise the signal over Beth-Hakarim, for disaster looms out of the north even terrible destruction. So Benjamin was a little tribe, and Benjamin and the tribe of Judah made up Judah, which was the southern kingdom. At this point, I believe that the northern ten kingdoms had already been conquered by the Assyrians. So you have this kingdom, and it's under threat of siege. Disaster and destruction are looming. Not very peaceful situation. There's a psychological term That is known as cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance. So you have cognitive and then dissonance means things do not work in harmony. That's the sense of it. Cognitive dissonance describes the state of discomfort that a person feels whenever their perspective and their reality come in conflict with one another. Right. A person is faced with hard facts that causes him anxiety and distress. Many people Choose to deal with these issues at hand or other people choose to hide and deny, hide and deny. Just like a person who is self-medicated on drugs, a person can choose to self-medicate himself on little self-deceptions so he doesn't have to face reality. As believers, we must always be realists. We cannot afford to look at life through rose-colored glasses. Self-deception ultimately is one of the ways that people lose their peace. Verse 13, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. So you have the situation, the reality that you have this army that is attacking from the north. And you have the prophets going around saying, don't worry, be happy. Peace, peace. But there is no peace. Isn't that something? Verse 15. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. I love that phrase. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen, and they will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. Whenever an individual or a church or a culture wanders from reality and embraces falsehoods and lies, they lose their peace they lose their peace. I think one of the great things about this country since its inception has been this whole notion of truth that we have had truth throughout our land, and we are quickly losing that truth and because these people lose their reality, they also tend to lose their sanity too. I think about Romans chapter one, where it says that while they knew God, they failed to honor him as God or thank him, but their thinking became worthless and their foolish hearts became dark. While they claimed to be wise, they made fools of themselves. Isn't that something? Fools of themselves. I was thinking about a few of our culture's lies. Here's one. Gender is nothing more than a cultural construct. Or men can have babies, or homosexuality is a viable alternative lifestyle. These are some of the lies that our culture is propagating. You know, I think about Matthew 5, 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, think about what a peacemaker is. Is a peacemaker somebody who just goes around breaking up fights? I mean, is that our ministry? No, a peacemaker is somebody who deals in truth, that is able to bring people who are living in a fantasy land back to reality, right? We must deal in truth. Now, listen to this verse, verse 16. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest. For your souls. Isn't that just exquisite? Find the ancient paths. What are the ancient paths? Well, that's scripture. That's the word of God. Those are the ancient paths. Find those ancient paths, find where that good way is, and then walk in it. When we go out and tell people about Jesus Christ, that's precisely what we're telling them. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you. And this is talking about the prophets and said listen to the sound of the trumpet but you said we will not listen you know when i was reading this i was thinking about that record in ezekiel 33 many of you know it where god charges the prophet and he says stand on the wall and he warns that if the prophet sees the enemy coming and he blows his trumpet and warns the people but the people refuse to heed the warning that their blood is upon their own heads they heard the warning and they didn't heed it however if the prophet Or the watchman sees the enemy coming, but he fails to blow his trumpet, and the people are not warned, God will require that blood from the watchman's account. Right? Well, I think that's true for us. I think we need to speak up, learn to speak up. Unfortunately, that is where we are in Western culture today. People do not heed the warning, but we say it anyway. Go to Jeremiah chapter eight. Jeremiah chapter eight. And in verse four chapter eight verse four it says say to them this is what the lord says when men fall down do they not get up when a man turns away does he not return why then have these people turned away why does jerusalem always turn away they cling to deceit they refuse to return i have listened attentively but they do not say what is right no one repents of his wickedness saying, what have I done? Each pursues his own course, like a horse charging into battle. Boy, that's a mind picture, isn't it? A horse charging into battle. When you think about a horse charging into battle, you know, what's what are you thinking about? This, this fury, right? I was, I thought about this, I went to, you don't have to turn that, but in Job 29, or 39, I'm sorry. It says uh, of the horse that his paws He paused fiercely, rejoicing in his strength, and charges into the fray. He laughs at fear. He's afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. In frenzied excitement, he eats up the ground. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. You think about that. That's how people are in their headlong dash into destruction in our culture. with never a thought about what evils lay ahead. Verse 7. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed season, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of Yahweh. You think about that, so what separates man from the animal? Well, the animal lives by instinct. Man lives by his rational mind, right? But when that rational mind, that reason is darkened by the deceit of sin and becomes Rebellious towards God, mankind is blinded to God's requirements. Verse 8, how can you say we are wise? For we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. The wise, and that's quote unquote, the wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Isn't that something? That's, that's a pretty good question. What kind of wisdom do they have? It's only the word of God that is able to properly frame a reality. And when people reject God's word, what's left for them? If and falsehood and the consequences of their bad choices. Verse 10, therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophet and priest alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. How about that? That's something. We have some serious problems in our culture. I think about Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, every decent and well-spoken individual affects and sways me more than is right. I ought to go upright and vital and speak the rude truth in all ways. I love that. Verse 12, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. We read that earlier. (laughs) They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen and they will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. You know, many of us in uh, previous ministry were told, that shame is always bad and to, to be avoided. I don't agree. I don't agree. This simply is not true. In the proper context, shame is the response of a healthy conscience. When a person is not ashamed at his sin, that's an indication of a seared conscience. There is no peace in a wounded conscience. Go to Ezekiel chapter 13. Ezekiel 13, we, uh, we talked about that several months ago. We did a, a, a study on the word conscience in the Bible. It was pretty amazing, pretty amazing stuff. Ezekiel chapter 13, and look in verse 2. It says, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. That's that's something. And I think this has been a problem if anybody was paying attention in you know, the last presidential election. Everybody was a prophet. We've talked about that in our fellowship several times. Everybody was a prophet. But in most cases, they were prophesying the imaginations of their own hearts. And God doesn't like that. Verse 4. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among the ruins. You have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel, so that it stands firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. So you get this mind picture. Think about this. So you have a, you have a city surrounded by this wall, and because of a previous battle or you know war, you have these walls all broken down the houses demolished and you have these prophets running around like jackals over the ruins right instead of doing what they were supposed to be doing which was repairing the walls of the lord so that the people could dwell in genuine peace and safety they're running around making false prophecies verse six their visions are false and their divinations are lies they say the lord declares When the Lord has not seen them or sent them, yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Isn't that odd? Have you not seen the false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say, the Lord declares, though I have not spoken, therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the Sovereign Lord. And that's true today. All religion is not created equal. And God is against all religion that misrepresents him. Verse nine, my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. This you will know, or then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Verse 10, because they lead my people astray saying, peace, when there is no peace, And because when a flimsy wall is built, what do they do? They cover it with whitewash. That's something. So you have these jackals, these false ministers. They're not building the wall as they should, right? But they're taking whitewash and painting it on the wall so they look pretty, right? And they're saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And I thought about Jesus when he was confronting the Pharisees and called them whited sepulchers. He said, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but within our dead man's bones. You know, that's, that's the whole idea here is to give this false representation that there's goodness when there is no goodness. Go to verse 11. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash, and it's going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down, and violent winds will break forth. When the wall collapses, It will. Will people not ask you, "Where is the whitewash you covered it with?" Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says: In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear foundation. Uh, I was sorry. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground, so that its foundation will be laid bare when it falls. You will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will spend my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who whitewashed it, those prophets of Israel who prophesied in Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Sovereign Lord. Isn't that something? I think that's amazing. As Christians, we really have got to see things as they are, not as we wish them to be. Go to Psalm chapter 29, Psalm 29, short little verse here. It says in verse 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. How does God bless us? With peace. And I think about all the epistles and how Paul and and the other writers of the epistles started. Grace be unto you and what? Peace, grace and peace. Peace is a blessing from God. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the proper or best translation for it. This is from the REV. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty Hero, Father of the Coming Age, and what? Prince of Peace. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. And this is part of our hope in the Millennial Kingdom, that we will be able to live with peace and the Prince of Peace. I love that. I wanted to reread this verse that I read earlier. Go to Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four. Look in uh, verse four, we'll start a little earlier than we did before. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness or moderation, That means that you're not given to extremes. Let your moderation be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Is that clear to everybody? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, there was a, an old German, um, he, was, um, he took care of orphanages back in England, back in the 1800s. His name was George Mueller. Many of uh, you are familiar with a book that he wrote called Delighted in God. It's a wonderful book. But anyway, he had this quote, and I thought it was a kind of a cool quote I wanted to share with you. It says, the thing which I desire affectionately to commend to your souls, profit is this counsel. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That means not merely when the trial is exceedingly great, only then to pray, but about little things, the ordinary affairs of life, to bring them all before God, and the result of this is the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. though this is a veil of tears, yet we all oh I'm sorry, yet we are able thus to go cheerfully through the world. It is my habitual practice about little things to bring them before my God. I never attempt to carry any burdens myself. I roll them on to God and speak to God about them. Beloved Mr. Wright, this is, uh, I I suppose, this was George Mueller's prayer partner, uh, but beloved Mr. Wright and myself, the first thing that we do is we meet every morning, have prayer about the affairs of our work and bring everything before our God. The most minute affairs we bring before God, roll them on him, do not attempt to carry them. Ourselves. I love that. This is the habit of prayer, and this is so essential to walking in the peace of God. Prayer for everything. You see, God is not a distant deity who is untouched by our, our trials and tribulations. God knows exactly what we're going through. It's, uh, it's amazing. He is our constant companion. Look in Psalm 34. Psalm 34. This is another one of my favorites. 34, look in verse eight. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And I. I brought this up when I was teaching this to my fellowship a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean to teach the fear of the Lord? That's kind of a curious phrase. You know, a lot of us just, you know, we come across the fear of the Lord. We say, oh, well, that means reverence for the Lord. And then we move on. Well, there's more to it than (laughs) there's more to it than that. The idea here is that we are always naked before the Lord. He sees everything. He sees everything. The fear of the Lord is a mindset. It's an outlook. We know that we are completely accountable to God at all times. Now, that becomes very easy for us to digest if we're in prayer to him at all times for little things, right? Because we're walking and talking, and we know that he's watching us. We walk in his fear, and God will give us his uh, approbation is praise when we do the right thing and he'll chastise us when we do the wrong thing. And that's good. That's what we want. Verse 12, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. I love that. Seek peace and pursue it. This is a lifestyle. And this is not seeking the peace of the false prophets who cry, peace, peace, and there is no peace. We will not be satisfied with anything but the true peace of God. Look in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 15. It says, and let the peace of God rule your hearts, rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body and be thankful. It's interesting how often you find peace and thankfulness associated with one another, right? And I think that's true. It's the unthankful, it's the discontented. I mean, we live in a land that is more opulent than any land in the history of mankind, and you find the most unthankful ungrateful, discontented people ever. I brought this up in my fellowship before, but I remember one time I was looking at this video of these Nigerian kids who lived in a hut, these little black children. They had the biggest smiles. I mean, beautiful smiles. And they're out there rolling an old car tire around and having the greatest time. And then you come to our culture and, you know, My kids get all uptight because we turn their phone off or something. You know, it's crazy, crazy. Go to Numbers, Chapter 6. I would love to just abandon all the stuff and go back to the basics. I just really would. Numbers 6, look at Verse 22. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And this is is known, by the way, as a benediction. Say to them, Verse 24, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Isn't that beautiful? And you think about it, in Christ Jesus, we have God's true peace through Jesus Christ. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys. I hope it blessed you. Franco, it's all yours.
1: All right. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate that. I wanted to close with a beautiful song that I think you'll really enjoy as we close the night out here. It's called The God of Peace. I already played one that was called The God of Peace. So is this one. I guess no one has a patent on that name, but this one is quite cool. I really, I love this, uh, this band. They're called The Eagle Group. I think you'll really enjoy it. I'll go ahead and close with prayer and then uh, I'll play that song for you, okay? So Father, we just thank you for this wonderful night. Thank you for the word that we heard this evening. We thank you, Father, that we can let what we've learned and what we've heard just shower over our minds, that it's something that we can dwell upon in the hours ahead and tomorrow, God, so that we can live this stuff, so that we can be convinced of it beyond a shadow of a doubt that these are just not words, that we are not here tonight for some aid to devotion. We are here, Father, because we want to have a relationship with you. We want to love you bigger. We want to see you greater. We want to experience, Father, in our lives, in manifestation, your power, your love, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, and your strength that you bear for us because we're your children and you love us. And we're so thankful, Father, for all we have in you. We thank you for this night, for each and every person that has taken their time to be with us here tonight as a family, that we are all brothers and sisters, and Father, that we are going to be together not only tonight, but for all eternity. And we thank you for that reality. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy the song, The God of Peace. You love me when I'm lost, you love me when I'm. Whole.